connected. Uh, those can always go in the offering plates anytime during the service. Again, welcome. It's great to be uh, together anticipating a wonderful week as we prepare for Easter next Sunday. So we have a, a busy week of service opportunities. Thursday evening at 6.30 in this space, uh, we will be hosting a Monday Thursday service. We will be serving communion in a bit of a unique kind of way. Uh, so I encourage you to come and check that out. We'll also have a time where folks are able to uh, write and, uh, and put up some, some areas of brokenness, areas of, uh, you know, that we feel like we've made mistakes and we have a way to put those on a cross on that Thursday as well. So it'll be a unique uh, interactive service. Hope you can come. Friday evening, uh, a good Friday service will encourage little messages on the seven last words of Christ. That service will be hosted at Rosedale Hills United Methodist Church, 6.30. So hope you can attend both and then be with us next Sunday uh, for Easter morning for a great opportunity to praise uh, God for the risen Christ. This week, if you saw the, the midweek views online, there was a little blurb in there about another uh, renovation project happening within the church in what was, used to be the Shalom uh, Sunday School classroom. For the past couple years, it's been a guitar uh, classroom. Uh, it's going to be renovated to be more of a conference-style space, a small group space that can be used both by the university and the church. So that will be open for church meetings, even Sunday school. So we're almost regaining a room that we hadn't used in a while. It's upstairs, kind of adjacent to the choir room. So if you have more questions about that, feel free to talk to me or Kurt. Uh, as soon as we see some drawings about what those uh, updates will look like, we will be excited to share them with, with the congregation. This month, we are continuing in our theme of ce uh, celebrating the, the Children's Center. And uh, so our loose coin offering will continue to support uh, the Children's Center throughout the month of April. So be aware of that as you are offering your gifts. I also believe that the Children's Center will be launching um, kind of their annual uh, fundraising initiative. Uh, we've done this in the past where there's a board and folks can take different uh, dollar amounts and say they'd like to contribute that to the Children's Center. And I believe that uh, material will be ready next Sunday. So look for that and different ways that you can pray for and support the Children's Center and the great ministry that they, that they do. Before we uh, gather for the passing of the peace this morning, uh, a little fun, a little short video about how we need to think about inviting others to come with us next Sunday for Easter. So check this out. Nothing. Where did it all go? I, diapers. Diapers? Since when does diaper money come Listen out Listen up, you two. We need to talk about Easter. Honey, we would love to talk with you about Easter, but Mommy I'm and Daddy sick are sick of on you guys. Lucy, hi. Um, look, we know how important it is for you to invite our family and friends to Easter services. We've just been really busy lately. Okay, that's enough, big guy. Excuse me? <laughs> Who are you inviting to Easter service? I need names, people! <laughs> Have you been letting her listen to sermons in the minivan again? Uh, sweetie, can you please just get off the coffee table? Of course, 
look, um, full transparency, uh, mom and dad don't really know how our friends would react if we asked them to go to church with us. People need the Lord. <laughs> really need a new halftime playlist. Mm -hmm. Jesus is going to be real sad. <laughs> You're right. People really do need Jesus. Clearly now more than ever. We'll come up with a list of names, okay? Daddy, please try to keep up. No, no, not Chris from work. Yeah, Chris from work. <gasps> so who are we going to invite to Easter next week? All right, greet those around you this morning with the peace of Christ as we get ready to sing our hosannas this morning. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna. 
Please join me in the call to worship. Behold your king comes to you. He is just. He brings salvation. He brings peace and justice. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Join me in the hymn of praise, Hosanna, loud Hosanna, found uh, in your red hymnal, page 278. join me in the opening prayer. Sovereign God, you have established your rule over the human heart, not by force, but by the servant example of Jesus Christ. Move us by your spirit to the joins of the joyful procession of those who confess Jesus, Jesus with their tongues and praise him with their lives. Amen. Our hymn of praise is All Glory, Laud and Honor uh, on page 280, verses 1, 2, and 4.
is by Reverend Julia Seymour. Will you join me, please? We believe in God who is the pillar of life and the pillar of God. We trust in our holy guardian who judges and shows mercy. We hope in our creator who is faithful to all that is seen and unseen. We believe in Jesus who rode in triumph into Jerusalem. We trust in the Messiah crucified, died, and was buried. We hope in the living Christ who walked out of the tomb. We believe in the Holy Spirit, giver of faith and formation. We trust in the bread of life who serves the saints and sanctifies. Yes, you may be seated as you feel comfortable. As we come to this time of prayer together, we continue to keep in our hearts uh, the families of Georgia Hoddle and Linda Fowler as we celebrated their lives and their resurrection to Christ uh, this past week. Uh, we're grateful for healing mercies in the life of Phyllis Austin, who has um, left the hospital and is in recovery, so continued prayers for her as well, and for others that you know of that are struggling, um, mending from surgery, facing upcoming procedure, perhaps you know people who are starting new work or finishing a semester of school or traveling and need protection, may we include all of these in our prayer this morning. Let us pray. Oh God, all of our time, all of our day, all of our moments is in your hand. And in you we put our trust. Morning by morning you awaken us. You help us in the face of adversity. So we join with the crowds to sing our praises to your Son, the Holy One. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Your work for us is very clear. Your blessings are beautiful. And yet we can be unthankful people. We complain about things that we are called to do. You have shown Christ to be our example. But we argue about how to live out our way upon his path. Instead of pouring ourselves into your work, we become filled with ourselves and our own importance. But you, who could condemn, are the God who helps, are the God who shows mercy. Because of your Son who was sacrificed for each of us. 
So, Lord God, forgive us today. By the blood of Jesus, turn us around and stand with us. You have given us the opportunity to be courageous, to speak and live with love. Sustain us by your Spirit that we may proclaim Jesus' passion, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. All of it was not for nothing, but a gift for redemption for us all. Lord God, you know there are many that are struck down, many who feel weakened, many who are broken, people whom we love, fighting disease, struggling and grief. Some of them hear whispers that no one cares, that they are ignored, that they battle alone. In your compassion, Lord, bind up those who are broken and make them whole. Let your face shine upon them and save them, save them in your love. Hear us, for we pray in the name of him to which every knee should bend, every tongue confess in heaven on earth, and under the earth, that is, Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is he who teaches us to pray together in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning, good morning again. We have just been celebrating today, haven't we? Was it fun walking in with your palms? You did a lovely job. The congregation sang beautifully. Carissa played the organ so pretty. It's a festive time. And do you know when the first Palm Sunday took place, when Jesus really rode in on a, what was he on? Uh, donkey, that's right. He was on a donkey. Do you know the children were, and the people were waving their palm branches, and what were they saying? Do you remember? Hosanna, that is right. Well, you know, that got me thinking. Remember when we did our Kids Sensational Saturday, we sang a song. It wasn't Hosanna. Do you remember the song Hallelujah? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Do you remember that? And what was the other thing you did? You said? Praise ye the Lord. And that's exactly what they were doing on Palm Sunday. They just were saying a different word, Hosanna or hallelujah. So Luke has agreed to help us. And I want you and me and Luke to teach the congregation that song 
that you learn because this is a day of celebration, okay? Palm Sunday is a day of celebration. So I'm, I'm, some of you still have your palm branches. That's good. You can wave them. When we sing, Luke's going to start us because you on this side will sing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And what are we going to say? Praise ye the Lord. And we're going to wave our hands. So I hope you folks can wave your hands. Okay. I know that we probably can't jump up and down, but that's okay. All right, let's go. This morning, our Old Testament lesson comes from two books. We're going to start out in Isaiah, chapter 29, 13 through 14. The Lord said, Because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote, so I will, do, I, will I will again do amazing things with this people, shocking and amazing. The wisdom of their wise, wise shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. Continuing in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, we will now have a hymn, Lord, Listen to Your Children Praying, and that's in number 2193, in the black book you're using your book.
Our gospel lesson this morning is from John 1938 through 42. After these things, make sure I'm in the right place. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. If you were to catch me uh, watching a ball game at my house, you could learn a lot about me from how I am sitting. So for example, there are times I'm on the edge of my seat, and there are times in the middle of the game where I am a bit slumped and relaxed, and there are times when I am watching through my fingers, not daring to see if the shot goes in. Most of the time, I'm hitting my knees and I'm doing a bit of this action because I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm out of my seat, pacing. It's a commercial break. What's going to happen? Maybe I'm seated like this, speaking, oh, what's going to happen? Because of the team I root for, it's usually like this. You know, um, I never get into the ball game. The coach never calls my number, but after the game, I'm typically exhausted because I've gone through all of those emotions. I may find myself wandering around in the kitchen, seemingly lost from the rest of the house because the mix of emotions of that ball game have worn me out. Sometimes that's how I feel through the midst of Holy Week. Palm Sunday, the jubilant celebration. Pride pumping a fist as Jesus does in the very best teachers in the temple. A little bit of fright and awe when Jesus starts tumbling over tables in that same temple the warmth and intimacy of Jesus and his friends having a Last Supper, the anger and then the agony of the trial and crucifixion, the silence of Saturday waiting, and then my heart starting to skip, my praise hands starting to rise up for joy once again in Easter. What do you do with 
the mix of emotions that come with what Christ accomplishes for us. How do you deal with the mix of emotions in the midst of the ups and downs of each day of your life? Let us pray. Holy God, thank you for the opportunity to praise with you as we remember the Palm Sunday story of the real king arriving into town, not with soldiers, but humbly obedient to your call upon his life to give it away. Thank you for the opportunity to rejoice in the gift of praise, but also, Lord, remind us of the week that is to come. And remind us, Lord God, of those that showed great courage to work through their emotions and stand by your side. Bless us in this time of learning that your words would touch our hearts and move us and draw us closer in faith to you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So. If you've had a bit of those mixed emotions in your life, then you are probably familiar with the experience of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, who is Joseph? Joseph A., I may call him from time to time. He's important enough to be mentioned in all four of the Gospels, and yet we know very little about him. We assume his name comes from a place. But we're not even quite sure where Arimathea is. Some commentators believe that he is from the hill country of Ephraim, 20 miles north of Jerusalem, which, by the way, is the hometown of the prophet Samuel, who anointed King David. And now Joseph is anointing the new king at his death, maybe. But we don't know about Joseph's upbringing, his schooling, his theological Jewish bent. It depends, really, as we're learning about him, which gospel writer you're listening to as to who this fellow is. Mark says, Joseph is a member of the Sanhedrin, 70-member assembly that serves as the Supreme Council Tribunal of the Jewish people. And Mark tells us how the chief priests and the council were looking for testimony to put Jesus to death. So from Mark's reading, we could assume that Joseph, member of the Sanhedrin, would have voted to condemn Jesus. He's a stranger to Jesus, and he's a bit of a malevolent one as well. But he's also someone who is waiting anxiously for the kingdom of God, which means he is on the edge of his seat, expecting God to act, anticipating that God's presence will be manifest some way. And he is just ready to take action and leap from his seat when God's intervention becomes reality. In Matthew, we get a few more details about Joseph. We learn that he was rich and he was a disciple of Jesus. Most of the time in Scripture, rich folks, at least at the beginning, don't fare well. Think of the rich young ruler, tax collector, Zacchaeus at the beginning. But Joseph is rich and a disciple. What does that mean? 
Does that mean he's a formal follower, student of Jesus? Or is he someone that just favors parts of Jesus' sermons? Did he know Jesus personally, or was he a long-distance student? You know, checking out books from the library, but never really enrolling in the class. If he did consider himself a follower of Jesus, did he still participate in the Sanhedrin's vote and sentencing? If so, what are we to make of a disciple who also voted to condemn Jesus? Professor A.J. Levine says this makes Peter's denial look minuscule compared to a potential disciple who voted to kill Jesus. With the gospel writer Luke, now Joseph's starting to look better and better. He's a good, he's a righteous man. He doesn't go along with the council's decision. So then that's got me wondering, how did that play out? Did he speak out against Caiaphas? Did he call foul to these proceedings? Did he vote an astounding no when they wanted to sentence Jesus? I don't remember any naysayers. Or did he quietly abstain? Did he just shrink out of the conversation, hide silently in the corner? And if so, then how is that righteousness? By the time we get to John's Gospel, which Bev read for us today, Joseph is the best disciple. And in fact, that might be what his name means. In Greek, aristos means best, glorious, as an aristocrat. Matthea sounds a lot like the Greek term for disciple, so we might have the best, the most glorious disciple in Joseph of Arimathea. He's not even associated with the Sanhedrin in this gospel. He's not involved in the trial, because in John's gospel, the Sanhedrin doesn't even meet. It's just a few Jewish leaders at the uh, house of Annas, relative of Caiaphas. John explains that Joseph this whole time has been a, a secret agent, quietly aligning with Jesus, but not blowing his cover as a preeminent leader in the council. He didn't make his faith public because that would damn his position and his influence. Was Joseph a disciple? Who was this guy? What kind of follower was he? My hunch is that he's somewhere in the middle of these bookends, a devoted member of this Jewish leadership council, in many ways supporting their views, but also intrigued, a bit captured by how Jesus approaches faith. He wants to learn more, but he knows that by voicing curiosity, he might be interpreted as being in allegiance with Jesus. So he's quiet, even as the mob mentality breaks out. He, Nicodemus, you remember that name? They're of the same cloth. Nicodemus was that Pharisee who come, came sneakily at midnight with his hoodie up so no one would notice who he was. I think the two of them, they like Jesus' music, right? But they aren't quite ready to buy tickets to the concert. They listen in their car, but if their old neighborhood friends come around, they switch the channel. But then when Jesus is killed, this good man, this teacher, profound teacher, this new bright reflection of God's holiness, Joseph 
says this man needs to be buried. Everyone deserves a proper burial. It's a sacred custom, and particularly this misunderstood child of God. And so Joseph goes before Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. And that's bold, daring. Approaching a governor would mean risk. Under Roman rule, crucified victims were not publicly mourned. They were left there to hang, to be torn apart by natural elements, animals of the land, then thrown in a ditch. It was part of that deterrent factor of crucifixion. And yet Joseph is willing to challenge this standard practice to look Pilate in the eye and say, will you allow me? This man needs to be buried. Do you think Joseph was a bit nervous in that moment? Have you ever tried to change a supervisor's way of doing things after years? You know, Joseph is petitioning to care for a man that the government just sentenced to death. Why would he even place himself in proximity to this event? He's opening himself up to be questioned. His lucrative ministry could be on the line, his reputation. He could be tied into Jesus' movement. He could be sentenced to his own demise. There is a lot at risk here. And yet, courage surfaces. He and Nicodemus finally carry the limp body of Jesus back to his family tomb. Can you imagine all of the mixed emotions? Where is Joseph sitting right now? Is he feeling proud that he's doing the right thing? Confidence that he's honoring God? Is he still shaking for having looked the governor in the eye? Is he saddened by this loss of Jesus' life? Is he crushed by his peers' behavior, their tendency towards violence? Does he carry dismay that he wasn't bolder earlier? Why didn't he speak on Jesus' behalf in front of the council? Why couldn't he be the Jewish voice in front of Pilate in the courtyard? Does he carry shame that his courage took so long that he was quiet, protecting himself? Is he questioning whether or not his actions now even matter? Is he undecided who he even is? Am I a follower of the tradition? Or now am I part of this band of supporters who are aligning with this fallen rabbi? I'm confident that you know him, that you've had this sort of mixed emotion. Great joy and celebration and then crushing feelings of hardship. Devastated by how other people you know act or hurt others. Frustrated by how some situations in your life have played out. Stuck beating yourself up for a poor decision you can't get over. Wondering how others might perceive you if, if you change trying to make life right now, but not always sold on everything a true Christian should believe. 
How are you sitting on that seat of faith? I wish I could admit I'm always soaring, you know, never doubting, an unapologetic witness who never worries about what other people think, who makes faith in Jesus known even when I know it's unpopular, who isn't phased by the suffering of a loved one, spiritual sturdy in all situations. Sadly, that is untrue. I know a bit of Joseph of Arimathea. But his story reminds us of two crucial truths. By the fact that every gospel author mentions his name and tells his story, we know he found a place in this community of faith. Whatever his past with Jesus, however his emotions and beliefs were askew or confused, he is named a disciple, a member of Christ's family. And that's the ministry of Holy Week, isn't it? We will cry Hosanna today, and then in a couple days we'll turn our backs. We'll follow for a while, and then we'll decide those lights are a bit too bright and it's more comfortable in the shadows. We will play a good Sunday morning game, and we'll perform a little less sacredly during our midweek contests. We'll believe with a sturdy heart, and then we'll read something in scripture or hear something that our church says and we'll question, can I really stand by that? We'll worship and we'll serve with the congregation with diligence and then for some reason maybe we just disappear for a while. But Jesus still welcomes us. We still have a place in the family. The cross makes it so even for the inconsistent. And Joseph shows us that even the hesitant, even the uncertain, even the covert followers of Jesus are capable of grand gestures of love, tender acts of witness that make a difference because in the opportune time, he acted bravely. He faced Pilate, he took that dirty, decaying body and placed it in his own tomb. He revealed allegiance to Jesus when it meant he could lose himself to his peers and community. In fact, by claiming this body of Jesus, Joseph really had nothing to gain and everything to lose. And Jesus said, those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. So maybe Joseph is the best disciple. We still have a chance at bravery. We have another opportunity to take courage, to welcome a stranger, to care for the poor, to raise an advocate's voice, to believe in the face of suffering, to repent of something wrong, to commit ourselves into God's hands, to eradicate fear, to even do our role for caring for the dying of a loved one, despite how awful that is. Whatever seat you are stationed in, whatever emotional ride you are following, whether you are yelling, yelping, <laughs> shouting yippee, may the courage drive you 
to know who Jesus is, to trust him and act for him with love. You are capable of bravery. It will be needed this week as we once again face Christ and the cross. It will be needed in the days ahead as you face the kingdom and live for God's glory. Be brave in Christ's name. Amen. you join me as you feel able to pray with me in this time of confession as we reflect upon the courage needed to follow with Christ to the cross. Let us pray. God of all times and places, we confess that we would rather join the crowds than stand alone. We prefer the popular point of view to a solitary witness for truth and truth. We like safety and security while shrinking from the risk of involvement. We sing Hosanna when everyone else is doing so, 
but not when the hostile Good Friday forces may hear us. We do not like to admit our lukewarm response to you, but neither do we want to be considered fanatics. We believe Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We know that means us, not just other folks involved in obvious evils everyone knows about. We ask you to be patient with us, to help us understand our own guilt, and then pour out your forgiveness in such a way that we are forever transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. God sweeps into our human scene, redeeming all who turn from evil. There is grace. There is mercy and renewed strength for all who earnestly seek the new life Christ brings. Let us rejoice together, for even the stones cry out with good news. God forgives. We are free from this burden of sin. Praise God. Amen. Let us rejoice through the giving of our gifts this morning.
Father God, we come with grateful hearts, grateful for the life that you have given us, grateful for your love, that you loved us so much that you sent Christ Jesus to sacrifice for our sins. Father, help us to always remember this, Lord, and remember that all that you ask for us and the way of gifts is to follow you and to be faithful to you and being doing good throughout our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Even this morning has been an emotional ride. Perhaps you were coming out of your seats as you were waving palms. Perhaps you were hunkering down when thinking about the ways that we too have abandoned Christ. Perhaps you were sitting with attention at the courage of Joseph of Arimathea. Perhaps you're hoping to skip through this week and just come to a bright and shiny Easter. The emotions take us everywhere. 
How will we discern? How will we manage? How do we live through them? How do we retain faith and bravery in the name of Christ? Go forth with that question and with that call in the Son's holy name. Amen.